This is Cinema Degeneration. Columbia Pictures presents I may be having a problem. Bill Murray. I'm reliving the same day over and over. In a story about a weatherman who's living life what? like there's no tomorrow. Don't drive angry. Because there isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, frozen, electrocuted. You're God. I'm a God. I'm not the God. Groundhog Day. Rated PG. At Theaters Friday. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration Presents. And we are following it up with a unique film because usually we do cult films here, sci-fi, horror, cult movies, and of the like. But what Cinema Degeneration Presents is an all-encompassing show where we can do whatever we want, whatever film, whatever genre. And we are doing a pretty iconic comedy, and it's ironic since it's going to be Groundhog Day here in about two days. We are doing Groundhog Day from 1993, directed by Harold Motherfucking Ramis. Egon Spengler directs and uh, starring Bill Murray, also from Ghostbusters and Stripes and a bunch of other <laughs> iconic films. If you don't know who Bill Murray is, then um, I don't know that I want to know who you are. But that I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> and I know my co-host here would agree with me and welcome my co-host to the show, Aaron Patchkey. How the fuck are you doing, man? Doing good, man. Freezing my nipples off here in uh, Windy City. <laughs> last I checked, it was a balmy five degrees. Yeah, yeah. Down here where I'm at, it's only nine degrees. So like, ooh, me without fucking earmuffs, you know. <laughs> but uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Aaron and I have known each other for what about thirty years now. I think we've known each other since what freshman year, sophomore year of high school. Uh thereabouts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you just like. When you think about it, when we're pushing, we were talking earlier about pushing 50, and it was just like a revelation that <laughs> I'm like, how the fuck are we 50? I mean, in my heart, I feel like I'm still in my 20s, but uh, in my body is something, no. Well, I was thinking more how are we still alive, but yes, how the hell are we going at 50? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always said I would never make it th through my 20s, but, you know, hey, I'm, I'm 20 years past that, so I'm living on borrowed time, so I'm making up. For, for for lost time there but uh yeah we've known each other for a long time i i have a background in writing uh, filmmaking acting whatnot and aaron is a very accomplished author and, and poet and film buff so uh you know also got a criminal background too if that helps <laughs> that, that that all that, that, that's a bonus <laughs> But yeah, we're doing Groundhog Day. We were talking about doing the show, and you know, for one of the first Cinema Degeneration presents, and uh, we settled on doing the Bill Murray movie. So we narrowed it down. I think it was the last choice was between this and Kingpin. Uh, no, you were pushing hard for Garfield too for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, I'm glad we went with Groundhog's Day. <laughs> no, that was Garfield one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, be honest, never seen that movie. I don't How know about Paddington too. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I swear I'm not doing bong rips, folks. I swear. But uh, let's go ahead not and get... what I'm seeing here, but go ahead. Well, let me go ahead and give the quick little two-sentence IMDb synopsis, and we'll get started on this comedy classic, Groundhog Day from 1993. A narcissistic self-centered weatherman finds himself in a time loop on groundhog day and the day keeps repeating and repeating until he gets it right and i feel like that's a very simplistic breakdown of it it's yeah it's pretty 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 decent of a of a synopsis most of the time i feel like imdb is way off but that's a simplistic way of putting it i do like the tagline for this movie on the poster where it says he's having the day of his life over and over and over again and who better to play a narcissistic, you know, self-centered asshole than Bill Murray? I think he's, uh, you know, he's a problematic guy. He, you know, he, he's 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 not a. I don't think he's a looked upon favorably in the the film community. But you can't really deny 
that uh, he's a comedy genius. You know, you, you, you can't deny that with his body of work. No, you cannot. But yeah, I was reading up, uh, trying to get prepared for this, and I saw that Harold Ramis originally wanted Tom Hanks for the lead role, but he decided against it because Hanks was too nice. <laughs> yeah, I can't see Tom Hanks doing this. I, oh, I, but who the second one he wanted was Michael Keaton, who uh, famously turned it down because he didn't get it. So I can see Michael Keaton doing the role, but uh, yeah, Tom Hanks, I would agree, would be way too nice for that role. Yeah, I, I could have seen Michael Keaton in it, and I read that that said that he didn't understand the script, but then he turned around like in two years later, three years later, did Multiplicity, you know. So like, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like he probably that's, got- that's one movie I've not seen sober in my life. So one of these days, I'm going to have to sit down and watch that because I don't remember nothing of that movie. I just remember that the clones kept getting dumber and dumber. And that's all I remember, that he kept making more and more clones to make up for lost time, and that they got dumber and dumber, and that was all I remembered from it. But, yeah, Tom Hanks, it's, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I would have liked that. I, I really can't, you know, this is a movie I just, I can't picture anybody but Bill Murray being. I was going to say, Bill Murray was born for the role, man. He definitely uh, played a part well. Yeah, I... I got blasted by a friend of mine at work when I was telling him that uh, I was going to be reviewing Groundhog Day. And he's like, Bill Murray's an asshole. I'm like, yes, he is. But I still like his movies. So there's that. And there's a lot more people uh, at play when making a movie than just one actor or one person. And you know, there's hundreds of people. In, and this really does have a great like supporting cast. I, I feel like uh, I'm... Going on, on on left field here, but I feel like the, the the weak link of the movie is Chris Elliott as Larry. He's just yeah, I like Chris Elliott in there. He did a good job. I, I like Chris Elliott, but I just don't like him in this movie. I, I, he he he, he plays safe. it a little safe. It, it's just a little too safe. I want I like Chris Elliott when he's nuts. Uh, yeah, you and me both. But I still thought he did a really good uh, job in his role. But, uh, yeah, I was surprised, though, man. Uh, a young Michael Shannon makes his apparent movie appearance in that film. Now, I didn't realize that until uh, just recently. He was all of 19 years old when he got the role of Fred the Groom at the wedding. Yeah. Which uh, I was very surprised like, to see. Scenes. Like, <laughs> he's in the one scene in the diner, and then he's at the scene at the end at the little party, and... Such a baby, he's so baby faced. It's like it's clear that he's like a teenager. It's like I hardly recognized him this time. Uh, you know, I, I read that as well when I started studying up on this movie. I'm like, fucking Michael Shannon, really? Like, first feature film, wild. I know, right? <laughs> I, uh, say, I knew he was old, I didn't think he was that old, but go ahead. Yeah, but uh, we got a bunch of other uh Saturday Night Live alumni. We got Brian Dole Murray, who's Bill Murray's brother. We got Robin Duke, who was also on Saturday Night Live, and of course Harold Ramis was a writer, you know, director. Uh, he, well, he wrote it along with Danny Rubin. So there's a lot of SCTV and uh, you know uh, Saturday Night Live alumni in that. So you know, back when when the shows were good. Uh, <laughs> hey, 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 they're still good. Thank you. Oh, I, I I watch it religiously every every, every week, but man, the, with the latest cast shakeup, but they got rid of so many veterans that I was just like, man, I, I feel like on a side note, not to go off on a rant here, but uh, the, the the camera work has really suffered on SNL lately. I noticed a lot of camera snafus in it, like the camera, like one camera moving into frame and then slowly backing out, or you see the cue cards. I'm like, they they, I mean. The show's still good. It's not great. It's still good, but they definitely need to get some new technical help. I would have to agree. I noticed a couple of cafes there the last episode. I was like, wow. Uh, yeah, they're definitely slipping up. Uh, hold on, but hold overall, on. though, I think the product is really good still. I still enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoy it for the most part. I still think the. I'm not one of those that think, like, oh, only the originals would go. Like, I, I love all the different iterations, but it's like, it kind of depends on the cast members and the sketches. Some weeks it's really, really good. And other weeks it's just like, ooh, were the writers on strike? With a the, last, the, the last week's episode was really good. That's, you know, off the, off, off the subject, but uh, here we'll get back on track here. <laughs> you know, you know, as we do. 
But uh, yeah, I, I think the first note that I have here is ah, Bill Murray doing what he does best, playing an asshole. And it, I, I wish like Weathermen were as half as energetic and as entertaining as Bill Murray is in this movie, because then I would watch the news and the weather all the time. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think that, you know, the the initial uh, thing I got to talk about is what is with the ba- bad 90s music in movies? Like the, the theme songs that they have, like for movies at the beginning and the end credits. Did they, they, did they, did you think they deliberately were trying to make bad music or was it just me? No, I think they deliberately made bad music. Dude. It was like ultra cheesy and generic. I was like, wow, I don't know who was doing the score for it, but uh, yeah, I think they were just messing with us, man, and trying to see what we would tolerate. <laughs> and they know we'll tolerate a lot. We'll tolerate a whole lot. Especially uh, when it comes to a Bill Murray movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll tolerate. Yeah, we had, you got to tolerate a lot, I guess. Uh, I think my one of my favorite lines, though, getting into this in the beginning was uh, when Chris Elliott's got the line where he's like, "Did he actually just call himself the talent?" And they roll their eyes. He's like, "You know, you, you're a good producer. You know, you're gonna take care of the talent." And he's like, "Did he just call himself the talent?" Like, mm, he might be a little full of himself. Might be well, you know, it's Bill Murray. He's a lot full of himself. Uh, yeah, it kind of reminds me of when we were doing your movie where people were referring to himself as the talent, but uh, that's another story for another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had that a couple of times too, didn't we? <laughs> sure did. <laughs> oh, shit. We'll just say, man, a lot of people have their egos. I know I got mine, so I can't say much. Everybody, everybody even the people who say I have no ego, they have a little bit. They got a little bit. Exactly. But uh, we get the haunting... The haunting, I call this this scene haunting because it will repeat and it will stay with you forever in this movie. And I'm sure you'll agree with me, uh, is when he, you know, the, he gets the Punxsutawney, you know, they go through the initial first day because, you know, he's going to repeat Groundhog's Day over and over and over again. And I I got some uh, fan theories uh, about about how long he's there. But when you get the, the first wake up call, when it's. He gets the I got you, babe, that plays over the the alarm. The alarm will wake him up every day at six o'clock and play I got you, babe, and play the same thing. And the first time, you know, he plays it, it's like, don't forget your booties because it's going to be cold out there. And he goes downstairs and says to the the bed and breakfast lady, and he's like, chance of departure is 100%. And I'm like, oh, dude, you know. Not 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 so much, man. You you're gonna be in trouble. You you're gonna be there for a long fucking time. Did I say I was reading up on that too? And uh, Harold Ramis said it was uh, according to him, it was supposed to be ten years that he really lived uh, February second over and over again, even though uh, the original script said ten thousand years. But uh, according to WhatCulture.com, it said it was thirty three years and three hundred and fifty days, which I don't know how they came up with that number. But uh, still, it's a lot of time to be reliving the same day over and over and over again. Yeah, ten years sounds about right. Ten thousand would be like uh, I, I couldn't have bought that. But you know, it's like I take it from Harold Ramis. You know, if he says it was ten years, and that's you know, fan theory can be one thing, but that's what I was going to talk about was that it was supposed to be ten years, which would be a long enough time for him to, <clears throat> you know, become a master at playing the piano. Knowing everybody like he does, you know, becoming an eye sculptures. <laughs> yeah, I guess that guy, uh, who the guy who did, I, I didn't write down who the fella's name was, but uh, the, the guy who actually did the food sculptures or the ice sculptures was actually a local guy who did like wood carvings and ice carvings with a chainsaw, and he still does them to this day. I guess apparently still does them to this day, at least as of uh, like. 
but yeah, he's a, a local and he does it at the, you know, the, the Punxsutawney uh, gathering that they have there in old uh, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. But actually, most of this was not filmed in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. It was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois. Sure was, but uh, I'll just say, I was to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania with my cousin Jeremy back in 2021, and it was a very interesting town, to say the least. Did there was a lot of groundhogs and hedgehogs everywhere. It was kind of cool. We got to see Phil in his little cage. They have him like displayed in a window uh, by the local uh, police station and libraries in like in one building. So you could go there and see Pucks and Tony Phil right through uh, the glass on the window. It was really cool. Oh, that's neat. That's awesome. I've never actually been there. I wanted to go, you know, uh, uh, once upon a time ago, but I'll get there maybe one of these days. I was surprised, man. It was only like an hour, hour and a half outside of Pittsburgh. It was really close by. Now, you got a, a, a uh, you have a theory of why I got this is a question that I got to ask because I, I have a very, very weak theory as to why, uh, you know, Phil, you know, uh, you know, uh, Bill Murray's character was repeating his life there. You know, because they ne they never do explain it. Uh, I knew they were uh, they had talked. Harold Ramis had said they explored several ideas as to why you know the theory behind it that it was going to be somebody that he had insulted or uh, a jealous lover, you know, ex lover that he had you know broken up with that it's put a, a curse on him or something. But they felt it was better to just you know leave it ambiguous, you know, leave it vague and just not not have really any reason. I kind of like that way because it, it it lets you know people like us come up with our own ideas. But I was curious if if you had a theory as to why old Phil was repeating Groundhog Day over and over again. I actually thought it was like a gypsy curse. To be honest with you, he insulted like a gypsy or somebody, and they put a curse on him. But uh, yeah, I was also reading man in the original script. It was a uh, jilted lover that put a curse on him for being such a a hole. So, uh, yeah, that was in the original script. But, uh, yeah, I always thought it was gypsies, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, I always thought it was some something weird like that. That was my thought as well. But it just, eh, I kind of I like the idea that they just don't tell you. Like, he's just an asshole, and, you know, fate has a way of, you know, you know working things out with assholes and, uh, you know, making them pay the price, at least, or at least trying to make them see the error of their ways. And, and you know, and, and he does go through like the five stages of, of grief, you know, uh, in this, you know, he goes through denial, he goes through anger, he goes through acceptance, he, he goes through all the different layers of, of it, which I thought was really well written, uh, it was really, you know, put together very well that way. Uh, definitely was, man. And uh, yeah, I'll just say whoever had this idea originally, uh, yeah, they were honest something, man. Like you said, it really explores all the aspects of life with acceptance, denial, grief, and I'll just say he uh, managed to change the air moves away, you know, see it. And uh, I think that's what a lot of us, it takes us longer than uh, we realize to uh, see how messed up things are in our lives and uh, how we should strive to be better people, but it uh, takes us a while to realize that we're on the wrong track. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I agree. And I, I think a lot of that credit goes to the writer, Danny Rubin, who also wrote, uh, I didn't know this until I started. He only wrote uh, five things. And uh, the same within the same year, he wrote SFW. So really? I was just like, huh. Yeah, he did uh, Groundhog Day, Hear No Evil, SFW, and a couple others that I can't remember because I didn't write them all down. But, uh, yeah, two of my favorite Hear No movies. Evil, is that the one with uh, Richard Pryor? That one? No, that's uh, See No Evil. Hear No Evil was uh, with Marlee Matlin. It was a, like, a, like a serial killer thriller of some sort. It was actually a pretty serious film, which is kind of strange considering Groundhog Day and SFW, but Actually, I, I can't even say that like Groundhog Day gets pretty serious, you know, when he's going through. We don't have to cover this in a linear fashion. We can jump all over here. But uh, when he gets to the sequence where he's trying to save the old man uh, that's, you know, panhandling, you know, and he, he, it, it gets to me every time. I don't get too emotional when I watch movies. I don't get teared up. But like in the sequence where he's trying to save the old man, he takes him to the hospital. He, he gives him money. 
he, you know, he, he tries to buy him food and gets him a hot bowl of soup and everything. And every single time the old man dies, it's heart wrenching. And Bill Murray really kind of brings it, you know, and he's not really known for pulling out serious shit. He's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a goofball, you know, as an actor, but like, you kind of get the how desperate he is, you know, at that point. It makes me wonder, you know, like in the gist of things in this 10 years that he spent in this perpetual time loop, you know, how many times did he try saving that old man? I'm sure it was a lot, man. Like you said, he went above and beyond trying to uh, help save him, which I don't remember. Did he wind up actually saving him or did he wind up dying still? No, no, he died every time. And actually it said uh, in the uh, IMDb, um, in the Wikipedia uh, trivia it said that like he's actually the only person in the movie who dies and stays dead everybody else comes back bill murray comes back puxatawney phil comes back because he you know he does at one point kidnap he thinks okay i gotta kill the groundhog so he he, <laughs> he takes them and drives over the edge into that uh what the hell is, hell is that that gorge and you know blows up which is kind of the best line that uh Chris Elliott has <laughs> when he crashes, falls down 300 feet, you know, and down into that gorge. And he's like, oh, he might be all right. And then the fucking truck blows up. <laughs> and he's like, well, not now, not now. No, I don't think anyone's going to survive that one. But yeah, that was definitely uh, his best line that whole movie. <laughs> oh, not Yeah, not- I was surprised though, because he was telling, uh, oh, I say gopher about the groundhog. When uh, he was driving, and he said, drive angry, freaking, uh, they tried to get that one Nicolas Cage movie from the title, Drive Angry, was from that line that Bill Murray said during Groundhog's Day, which I never knew until just recently. I'm learning that just now, like uh, everybody else listening. Well, I'm sure not everybody knows that. I had no idea. I love Drive Angry. It was like one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies. (laughs) Yeah, mine too. I do know one bit of trivia is uh, in that scene, Bill Murray got the shit bit out of him by uh, the groundhog, and they so bit so severely that they had to g- give him uh, rabies shots. They went to shoot the scene again. The fucking groundhog bit him again. He got bit twice. Had to get uh, rabies shots on two different, two separate occasions. Like I think I'd be a little pissed. A little bit pissed off. Yeah, I'd be wearing gloves. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't have told them drive angry. You know, don't drive angry. Maybe you should have brought that advice. up. <laughs> okay. Now, one thing we gotta we gotta talk about here, and it's it's a certain side character, and I think you know who I'm gonna be bringing up. Ned fucking Ryerson, Needle Nose Ned, played by Stephen Toblowski. That dude. Th- this was the first movie I seen him in, and he is comedy gold. He is like the epitome of every annoying person that you 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 run into that you just can't get away from. Like you run into him like, oh, look, see this fucker coming. Let me just try to duck down the next dial here and get away from him. But yeah, needle nose Ned. Uh God damn, that that character is is so fucking good. And apparently he wasn't even supposed to be in that end scene, but they had so much fun with his with his character when uh Andy McDowell's character Rita buys Bill Murray in the auction, you know, for a date. He's like, when he comes in, he's like, "Oh, where are we going?" He's like, "Well, let's keep it, you know, a secret, you know, let's not, you know, ruin the surprise." He wasn't supposed to be there. It was supposed to be a different character, but they liked his character so much that they're like, "I hold Ramos." I was like, "Yeah, let's give him another scene," which I think it was the right thing to do. I would have to agree, man. He was definitely uh, very iconic in that role. He would uh, played a part well. <laughs> But yeah, I don't blame Bill Murray for wanting to punch him after dealing with that for a while. I won't think anybody in their right mind would want to punch the guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like it. You know, they show it like very the the progress of things. Though he keeps constantly running into Ned. You know, by like the second day. You know, when the first day repeats, he's just kind of like you know, as I would probably be thinking, man, maybe I had a wild dream and I dreamed this day. And it's just repeating, you know, and this is just like my dream. Okay, you know, maybe the, I'll, I'll just approach everything apprehensively. But by day three, panic fucking sets in. And by day four, he punches Ned right in the face. <laughs> just like, <laughs> Bill? Ned? Pow. Just like, and I I love that. I love that part. 
Uh, That's just still one of my favorite parts in that whole movie. And I, uh, oh yeah, it's one of the best parts. Or when he tries to uh, get cozy up to to Ned, and at one point he just hugs him, and he's like, "I don't know wherever you're going, but if you're going somewhere, cancel." And <laughs> and he makes Ned run away from him. I guess that wasn't uh, scripted either, because you know, as we all know, if you know even a little bit about Bill Murray's uh, body of work, he likes to ad lib. And that was uh, an infamous Bill Murray ad lib that stayed in the film. So, you know, hey, you know, it, it worked. I said it was pretty cool, man. Yeah, they, they ad lib that whole scene, man, which uh, was really cool. But like you say, yeah, Bill Murray is very infamous for his ad libbing. And uh, I'm glad Harold Ramis kept that in. Yes, yes, same, same thing. Now, what do you think? Uh, it was probably one of the worst part, not like is a bad part of the movie, but is a bad part of Bill Murray's reoccurring day is starting every day off with that perpetual ice cold shower. <laughs> I would have like asked for a different room. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, I heard they played that song. I got you babe over and over again because it was rated, uh, I guess like the most uh, annoying song of all time. Cause it's repetitiveness. And I guess they used that to like torture people at one point in time. Because of its annoyance and repetitiveness, which I never knew. But after hearing the song over and over again, I can see how it could be uh, very annoying and uh, used for torture. <laughs> it works, right? I'm say, not saying it's right, but it, it fucking it definitely works. I think anybody in their life mind would lose their shit listening to that over and over and over again. <laughs> You know what I, I I was thinking of something uh, just now with the the that alarm clock going off and playing I got you babe every time. Do you think maybe like cause I'm sure you know within the timeline of things you know it's supposed to take place over ten years but we only see you know I think they said thirty eight days are actually shown within you know the confines of the movie. Do you think somewhere in that ten day that ten years? that Bill Murray's character would have thought about possibly uh, turning the alarm off or would it just turn back on the next day? I think it'll just turn on the next day. Regardless of what he did, he's going to be hearing that song over and over again. It's just inescapable. I think it was like part of the torture. (laughs) Right. Oh, man. I I do like uh, when he decides to try to... uh, not live life by the rules anymore and he hops in the car with the two drunks and he's just <laughs> playing chicken with the uh with the the train and when he begets when he finally crashes he's like yeah i have a cheeseburger hold the onion you know a splash sprite or whatever and what do you guys want but the two guys in the car with him are comedy like fucking legends rick overton and rick DeCommon, who was in like die hard scary movie uh the burbs Rick Overton's been in like 150 different things. So, I mean, he's got an immense body of work. But this is, again, a couple early roles by them. I was say, man. They're, yeah, exactly. Like you said, they have their own line, line of uh, history of gold, well, comedy gold. And uh, yeah, they, their body of work, man, uh, will definitely stand the test of time. <laughs> and I have to say, he was a, a smooth operator when he was you know, uh, zeroing in on uh, Nancy. When he was just like, oh, he's like, he, he pulled, he completely, what he did, he became Ned for a moment in time. And he's just like, oh, and he's like, like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, we went to high school together. We, <laughs> we was Mrs. L- Mrs. Lincoln's class and was sitting, or, you know, uh, went to Lincoln High School and was sitting in Mrs. Walsh's class. And I like, I, I just want to know, though, like, what was the whole idea behind the scene where he pulls up with, the, the random blonde girl in the car dressed up like Clint Eastwood from the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's it's a jarring scene, but it's funny as shit. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, man, I think that was all ad-libbed too, because he's a, a a big fan of Clint Eastwood. So yeah, I think he ad-libbed that whole scene, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I bet it was. I bet half this movie was just Bill Murray ad-libbing and flying off the cuff. But he did a pretty good uh, Clint Eastwood impersonation, you know? It wasn't bad. No, it was pretty spot on, man. <laughs> oh, but, do, you know, do you have a, I got to ask a, a question here. Do you have a favorite scene or sequence of the film? Uh, my favorite scene was he's in a diner and he's uh, 
don't give a shit no more. So he's just eating everything and anything and fucking just gorging on all this food. And then, then uh, she comes up to him and asks him if he's not concerned about gaining weight or cholesterol or nothing. And he's just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I did. He's read- over there fucking enjoying the meal. I read, uh, it was cor- according to Harold Ramis, um, there that he, they had offered him a spit bucket for the diner scene where he was eating all the, like, the sausages and the pastries and drinking coffee, and he was just like, nope. He's like, I'll just eat it and keep going, but apparently he ended up getting sick because he had ate so much, and then they had to cancel filming for the day, so maybe the spit bucket would have been better off for him. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I don't think he realized how many times he's going to have to uh, shoot that one scene. You know, I'm assuming he thought it would be, like, one and done, maybe twice. But, you know, the movie business, nothing's ever one or twice, you know. It's always four, five, six, seven times. If you're on a Kubrick film, there's 187 takes, you know. Yeah, screw that, man. Put me on the Alfred Hitchcock film, it's like one take. Yeah. Only time you take a second take is if that said take is absolutely ruined, you know. Exactly. Uh, I, I think my one of my favorite scenes is it's, it's kind of subliminal, and I guess I always thought that this character was going to come back and play a bigger part of things. But uh, the bartender that's at the that's at the uh, the hotel when he, when Bill Murray comes in and he's just like you know trying to put the moves on Rita on Andy McDowell's character, and he's like repeatedly he's like coming in, and he's like ordering a drink. Oh, I'll order the drink that she likes. Oh, I'll I'll drink to world peace because that's what she wants to do. And the bartender just kept looking over at him, smiling and shaking his head. I feel like he was going to come back, like some omnipotent character that was just going to be like, "I told you, you weren't going to, you know, learn your lesson." Because he just kind of looked over and smiled and always nodded. I always thought that character was going to come back and be a little bit more prevalent, but you know, alas, it didn't happen. Yeah, they say I always thought it'd be more like The Shining. You find out, you know, it's like an evil influence, like you said, and it's like, okay, something's gonna happen here. It's like some kind of twist, but yeah, that twist never comes. <laughs> uh, I do have a bit, another bit of trivia. Uh, and I don't know if you noticed this, but I did notice this uh, on the very last viewing because I watched this twice in preparation. Uh, all the clocks in the diner are stopped. None of the clocks in the diner move. The only clock actually in the movie that moves is the the one in his room at the bed and breakfast. So they said that was supposed to mirror uh, Phil Phil's Phil Connor's uh, predicament of being stuck in that perpetual time loop where time really had no meaning. So I never noticed that before. Uh, no, I didn't notice that either until I rewatched it, and uh, I got to rewatch it again after you telling me about Bill Murray flipping off the camera. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta revisit it again because I did not see that at all. Yeah, I think it's uh because you know so many scenes in this movie repeat themselves. You know they yeah. repeat, repeat them on a loop. You know just like the days is like they might play the same scene four or five times in a row as Bill Murray is like going through the days. And I think it was either on the very first or the second day when he was doing the the reporting piece on Puxatawney Phil coming out and seeing his shadow and he does the countdown three two one. Instead of ending on one with his index finger, he flips off the camera. I've seen this movie probably 20 times, you know, 15, 20 times in my life. Never noticed that. Never picked up on that before. And I'm just like, you know, it just goes to prove if a movie's done well enough, there's you can still enjoy some new things about it. Here it is, you know, literally 30 years later. That's scary. I remember when I was seeing it at, when it first came out at the show, and it's like hard to believe it's been 30 years freaking since that happened. Like, scary how fast time goes. <laughs> the passage of, t- of time is a cruel, cruel mistress, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, now I got to ask it, uh, who is your favorite character in this movie? Okay, probably besides Bill Murray or. Bill Connors. Do you have a favorite side character in this movie? Oh, his brother, man, is the mayor, uh, Brian Doyle Murray. He, I thought he was awesome in that movie. Freaking, he uh, definitely uh, stole his scenes. Every scene he was in, I thought he stole. So yes, he would have to be my favorite uh, secondary character. Yeah, yeah, mine too. Same, same. I love Brian Doyle Murray, and <laughs> I do particularly like the scene where he comes in and saves Brian Dole Murray from choking on a piece of steak as he so eloquently 
Coach said, he's like, well, you were trying to swallow a whole fucking cow. <laughs> well, my favorite one was like, shoot him, but make sure you don't shoot the groundhog. <laughs> Aim high, I think he said. Aim high so you don't shoot the groundhog. Right. Uh, poor poor Punxsutawney Phil. He got, he got hosed in this movie. It was not his fault. Now, I wonder like, if, if, if one of those loops, if he came out and not saw his shadow, if the time loop would have been broken. I always play the what-if card with movies like this, you know? There's a lot of what this to be had, man. What if exactly he didn't see his shadow? What if, you know, he would have done things differently? But uh yeah, that's life for you though, man. It's like one big what if. All the different stuff that can happen, you just change one little thing. And you see that throughout the whole movie, man. He changes one little thing and you see all the different stuff that changes. And it's like, wow. So yeah, that's kind of a nice metaphor for life, man, you know. Shows you yeah. how much things can change by just changing one little thing. Well, I think they, they say that's like the, the trouble with, you know, um, time travel in movies and in and, and cinema and books and, and art and stuff like that. You go back and, you know, they play the, the card of, well, if you could go back in time, would you kill Hitler or would you do this or would you stop the, you know, a world war from happening? And it's just like, but yeah, you're stopping a, an atrocity, but like, what is that going to cause in the, you know, as, as things layer upon layer of happening, you know what I mean? What? What's it going to change? Is it going to cause you know something worse to happen? So I think that's kind of. If I ever could go back in time, I'd be like Biff from Back to the Future Two, and just give me a sports book, and that way I could place bets and make a lot of money gambling. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, yeah, that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) That would be me too. Be like, yeah, I'm not a gambling man, but if I could time travel, you you might see me pick some lottery numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like for instance, like. Another great scene in this movie, it happens about midway through, is when Bill Murray is just sitting there on a little bench by the sidewalk, and he's like, a gust of wind blows, the car honks, and here comes the two, the, you know, the security guards coming with the the, the bank truck. And he's just like, and the waitress is going to come up and ask for a roll of quarters, and he's like, three, two, one, just calmly walks up, steals a sack full of money, and walks away unscathed. I mean, like, what, what would you do if, you know, if you uh, got caught, caught in a, that perpetual time loop? And I guess they, at one point, had talked about, like, doing some more darker things, like, you know, would, what would, you know, happen if Bill, you know, murdered or tortured or did bad things and, you know, robbed people, et cetera. And I, that's really, like, the most lighthearted way they went about it was just like, yeah, he stole a bag of money from a couple of inept security guards, you know, but he didn't really do anything else too horrible, at least not that we saw in that 10-year period. Exactly. And I think Harold Ramis deliberately kept that out. He wanted to make it light. He didn't want to go too dark, you know. You're trying to have a, a comedy with a good message. And, uh, yeah, the last thing you wanted to go too dark is show uh, Phil torturing people or you know, going on a shooting spree, you know, you don't want to be seeing that in the comedy. <laughs> yeah, you don't come back from that. It's just like, oh, this guy went there. And this is like, you know, the, the dark part was at least like the more dramatic part is that there is a, a sequence where he tries committing suicide where he drops the toaster in the into the bathtub. He jumps off the bell tower, you know, and he does make the reference. He's like, I've been killed more times than I can count. I've been shot, stabbed, hung you know, drawn and quartered, electrocuted and everything. I do think the the neat comedic edge is when he plugs the toaster into the wall and instead of just dropping it into the bathtub, he puts the toast in. He's like, <laughs> ka-chink, ka-chink. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to drop it. Like, 
he could have just dropped it in. He didn't have to prepare toast at the same time, you know. I'm just, just saying, just saying. But it's he nice. He wanted a light snack before he died. <laughs> he wanted to have some toast before he became toast. Exactly. Uh, but uh, another fun bit of trivia I had, I had to rewind this uh, at one part, the bar scene loop where he orders a Jim Beam with like ice and water, I think it was, was his first drink. And he's trying to schmooze with Rita, and she at, or, orders a sweet vermouth on the wa- uh, on the rocks with a twist. Which two notes of trivia? One, Harold Ramis put that it specifically into the script because it was his wife's favorite drink, so he wanted to have something that was a wink and nod to his wife. So I I, I appreciate. What's well, strange? Uh, the first one or the second one was her favorite drink? The sweet vermouth. Okay, but if you watch the other bit of trivia is uh, Bill Murray hates sweet vermouth and i think he really drank sweet vermouth because it, it either that or it's just really really good acting because like he takes the sip of the drink and you can tell everything on his face hates the taste of this fucking drink but he's trying to look at rita like oh yeah like mm, this is going down so smooth <laughs> what i i i kind of wonder like not the bar scene loop, but when he's uh, taking her to dinner and, you know, he's like, she's like, oh, you speak French? And he's like, we, oh. you know, and he's smoozing with her and making notes. And he's like, oh, no white chocolate, no this, no that. And she kind of comes on to it, not comes on to it, but uh, figures out what he he's doing. You know, she's like, are you like making notes or something? And he fails. <laughs> He fails miserably, and she slaps him. I think they, I actually read in, in the trivia, is that she slaps him no less than 10 fucking times over the course of that scene. And, like, hauls off and hits him for real every single time. And he probably deserved it. Yeah, I heard that, yeah, when he uh, got smacked, it was for real, and he was getting annoyed. But uh, he was even more annoyed when they had that snowball fight with those kids. And uh, he'll run me, tell the kids to really throw the as hard as he can at Bill, and Bill is getting pissed off to the point that he started taking the snowballs and whipping them at the kids because he was getting so aggravated. <laughs> I didn't know that. See, we're all learning something new here. But I, I well, yeah, I can understand it, dude. Who wants to get whacked with snowballs for a freaking however long the shoot was? Five, 10, 20 minutes is like shit. It's uh, going to be really annoying. <laughs> Oh, depending on how many takes they did, it could have been hours out there in that snow, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Right? You know those kids were putting, like, making special snowballs for them. So, yes, I'm sure it got ugly. Like, at least let me cram a little piece of ice down in this motherfucker here. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is where, the point in the movie, though, where Bill, uh, you know, after he fails with Rita for a while, he just kind of spirals out of control for a little bit. He kind of goes, like, rogue and that's where he you know he, uh, the point in the movie where he attempts suicide a couple of times and he gets really just depressed and despondent and that's where you know he tries to s- kill punks of tawny phil until all of a sudden he just all of a sudden has this moment of realization he's like okay i'm a god <laughs> Reed is not having it she just totally doesn't have it. He's like, you know, he tells her, you know, I've been shot and stabbed. He's like, I know everything about everybody. He goes up and down the aisles. He's like, tells her, like, oh, this is the waiter, you know, and then this is the waitress. You know, she came over here from Ireland with her, you know, with her parents and lives over here and you know, all these different things. Then he goes to Nancy and she's like, he's like, this is Nancy. And she makes cute little noises like a squirrel when she gets excited. And she's like, hey, you know, but like he does the whole I'm a god. And she doesn't believe him until he writes down what Larry, Chris Elliott's character, is going to say. And he he writes it down verbatim. She doesn't quite, I don't think, you know, after he breaks it down for her, I don't think she quite buys that he's possibly a god. But I think she believes that he's in this time, at least trapped in some sort of weird time loop. Yeah. Well, they say having all that done, yeah, it's kind of obvious that something's amiss. You know, you know, get to know all those people that really or get to know what people say beforehand. So, yes, that, that was a clear indication and anything that uh, things were not quite uh, as they would seem. Yeah. And then it's even a sadder scene where he's pouring his heart out to her. They're laying in bed, falling. As, she's falling asleep and he's reading to her and he just pours out his heart to her about everything. 
and just again wakes up the next morning and he's alone in his bed and is this kind of like you know going through all that to convince somebody the what's happening to you and how hard it would be to go through that and be like the next day like if, if i need to make it one step further i have to do all that shit again all over again it's like crazy thought when you think about it it's like you know people always say well if i was in that situation i would do this how do you know what the fuck you would do if you were repeating days for i mean like 10 years that's like thousands of times that you would have to do that like, uh it, yeah i think we would all be losing our shit man probably fucking after 30 or 40 days <laughs> now question for you this is a common kind of weird question but what do you think you would think uh, was happening to you if you woke up in a perpetual time loop? That first day, you know, first impression be like, would you think that it was just like some old acid coming back on you? Or, you know, what what, what, would, you, what would you think was happening to you? Uh, originally, man, I would probably think it was just like a bad dream or something I ate, you know? But uh, after going through it for a day or two, I think I'd be in hell. So, yeah, I think I would have died. And uh, I'm just going to be tortured by some evil deity, being the devil or a demon or whatever. But, yeah, that's what I would be thinking. It's like I'm in hell. Freaking, I'm living the same day over and over again. I, I would think somebody was torturing me. I would think that somebody would have had me, like, under the influence, knocked out on some sort of drug and was like experimenting on me. And I'd wake up on some like operating table and it's like, so how was it? And I'd be like, that was fucking terrifying. <laughs> Turns out you just had on your Oculus Quest on too long. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I, think... I think we're going to get to that point though, man. If you were going to have that like virtual reality, you're not going to be able to discern between reality and freaking virtual reality where. Heading that direction, it seems. Yeah, there's a movie out right now that's fairly new uh, that we watched here recently called uh, Don't Worry, Darling. That's, uh, yeah, it's got uh, Florence Pugh and Chris Pine, a couple other people in it, and it's, uh, I think Harry Styles was in it too. But it's, uh, yeah, it's about kind of like a weird virtual reality where somebody kind of realizes they're not, (laughs) they're not in the real world. Uh, I won't say any more than that, but. So I feel like I've already said too much already, but good movie, good movie. More, more, much more of a darker version of the story, kind of in a way. It's not so like one of my favorite movies. That, that was that movie uh, Existence with Sarah Polly. I thought that was a really good one with the whole virtual reality thing going on. Oh, the Cronenberg flick, yeah, yeah, that's a good movie. That was a really good movie. It's it's like uh, the people for years had always said, you know, you need to do. Uh, told me you need to do a. Uh, a horror movie version of Groundhog Day, and I'm like, that's already been done. That's called Happy Death Day. <laughs> I'm gonna say, yeah, you spawned uh, this movie spawned a lot of cool movies, man. Happy Death Day, the movie Boss Level with Mel Gibson, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise. So yes, uh, it spawned a lot of cool movies with that idea, and well, they just took the concept and uh, made their own little twist to it. Yeah, I liked Edge of Tomorrow, a Boss Level I haven't seen. I'll put that on my must watch list. Uh, I just say, it's on Hulu right now. I just watched that not too long ago, but yeah, that was really good. Nice, nice. Let's see what the next sequence we got here with, uh, well, within the timeline of things we got where the, he starts doing good deeds. And I think this is where he finally starts to get on the right track, Bill does. He starts going, doing good deeds, uh, learning the, to play the piano he's learning some stuff about fine arts he's being he's reading books he's being nice to people and i think this is the point where it's really hammering home that the whole idea behind the movie at least to me was to make to make phil appreciate everything that he had uh, had not appreciated in life with other people he was so self-centered he couldn't see past his own hand you know as uh you know he, he didn't appreciate other people he didn't appreciate small town life he didn't appreciate anything and this is where he really starts to get into you know i I think he's on the right track to getting broken out of the loop and uh you know uh, they've got the sequence where he tries saving the old man which is again heart-wrenching gets me every each and every time but when he saves his own brother from choking on that uh chunk of steak and he's just like Doing nice things, lighting cigarettes for people, helping old ladies, you know, changing their tires, uh, saving Catching the little- that kid that fell out of the tree. 
Yeah. A bit of trivia about that. Um, that kid pops up another time in the movie or previous to that. Uh, this is before he saves him from falling out of the tree. But when he brings the old man into the hospital and he's talking to the nurse before he goes into the back and he sees that he's dead. And he's like, where's the chart? And he's like, well, you know, and the nurse just tells him, you know, sometimes people just die. The little boy is in the background in a wheelchair with his leg in a cast being talked to by a doctor and his mom. It's the same kid. So he pre previously had fallen in the, out of the tree and broke his leg. So he saved him out of that the, the um, in the next scene. So, I, I again, another thing that I never paid attention to, never noticed, but yeah. Yeah, like cool, man. Yeah. yeah. As I say, that's one good thing about this movie. Every time you watch it, you always see stuff you've never seen before. Like I say, for me, it was Michael Shannon. I was like, holy crap, that's Michael Shannon. <laughs> Patty and I had had a revelation when I was I was looking just looking through the cast and all of a sudden at the almost the very bottom it says Michael Shannon and I'm like who the fuck was he in this movie like I never you know like I've known Mac, Michael Shannon for decades like hardly even recognize him he's so young and so like just like he, he he doesn't look scary you know to be honest Michael Shannon comes across very scary in most of his movies he's a very intense individual. So seeing him as an 18, 19 year old kid being excited about getting married and getting WrestleMania tickets. <laughs> so there you go. If I ever get married, now you know what to get me for my wedding day. Okay. Just give me some All WrestleMania right. tickets. <laughs> I will get you WrestleMania tickets whenever you get engaged, sir. All right. I'm going to hold you to that. So when are you and Joe tying the knot? We're looking at a summer wedding. <laughs> Yeah, don't do a winter wedding. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Uh, no, my luggage be like the Game of Thrones red wedding. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. nobody wants a wedding like that. You have a wedding like my wedding where it was just nothing but booze, booze, and more booze, you know? At least the, the that awesome orgy at the end. That was awesome. So, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, I'm always there to satisfy, sir. Quite literally. Like I said, the first and only orgy I've ever been a part of. So, yeah, thank you. Oh, we all know it wasn't your first. Or my last. <laughs> <laughs> was the last, but it wasn't the first. Oh. I think we are winding definitely down. Definitely the best, though. Winding down at the end of the, the, the movie here when they get to the big party and they get to the, the auction. And uh, they put him up there, and I think Rita buys him for like $339 or $389, something like that. Which they said would translate to almost seven hundred dollars in today in twenty twenty three money. Uh, I think the clincher for for things for Phil, because in the end, you know, like he does break the time loop. You know, we're, we're ruining it for you folks, but it's a thirty year old movie. You haven't seen it by now. I don't know what you're doing here, uh, but I think the clincher for him because she says to him, she's like, you know, when he wake, wakes up and the loop is broken. She's like, you know, and he's like, why are you here? And she's like, well, you said stay, so I stay. And he's like, fuck, man, like that's all I had to do. But I think what really <laughs> happened, she was listing all the things that she wanted in a man. She wanted somebody that was sensitive, somebody that was kind and loved his mother. But she mentioned she wanted somebody that could play an instrument. And he, she finally saw him playing that piano and playing pretty damn well. And I think that was the clincher. I think that, that and I'm, I stand by that. It's not that she he asked her to stay he learned to play the piano and that was the last thing he had to do on that list that he didn't do in 10 years i was figuring out that piano that was actually him playing it he can't read sheet music or nothing but he learned to play it by air so that was actually him playing that piano really i had really? no idea yeah huh that's interesting i did have no idea see again both learning something here but the auction is funny. It, it, it's the it's the best payoff in the movie. Like, while I didn't enjoy, I didn't dislike Chris Elliott's character. I just like it when he gets a little crazier. But when he hops up on stage after Phil gets auctioned off for almost four hundred dollars, and the little old lady wins him with a bid of twenty five cents, 
It yeah, I'd be so me. I get on stage and yeah, I'd be like a quarter or fifty cents of I'll be what I get. So yes. <laughs> I can't identify with Chris Elliott in that regard. <laughs> oh. But as things wind down in the end of the movie, he wakes up <coughs> and I think it's a nice fake out because it's always wakes up on you know, always cuts to a shot of him with the clovers pulled up to his chin. He's laying in bed alone, and then Rita's arm reaches across and turns the alarm off. And he's just like, this is different. Anything different is good. So he goes out and looks outside and sees the snow on the ground and the people aren't filling the streets going to see Punxsutawney Phil. And, you know, I think that the most ironic part of it is, is like when he's celebrating and he's going out the, the bed and breakfast and uh, they're going out into the snow and he's like, you know, I think we ought to live here. He's like, well, let's just rent it first. <laughs> and another Bill Murray ad lib. But I think the fact that like, he even though he had spent 10 years in a virtual living hell in this town he learned to appreciate it so much that he was willing to like and i don't think it was like comedic i think it was really like just saying you know i want to live here i appreciate this place for everything that it has to offer and on a side note when he hops over the fence in the gate and picks up annie mcdowell and hefts her over over the gate that was out of necessity and not the script because the gate had frozen shut and they couldn't open it up without breaking it. So they just had them hop over it. Oh, <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> what you, in my days, a hobbit over fence are pretty much over too. So yeah, if that ever comes uh, to it, you're gonna, you or Joe or somebody's gonna have to help me over. <laughs> Shit, who's gonna help me over? With my heart. <laughs> We'll, we'll get a rope. <laughs> <laughs> just get a sled, create a ramp, all this, whatever fucking happens, happens. <laughs> and so what uh, what, do you, what do you think about the, the ending of this movie where Phil, like, you know, finally breaks that perpetual loop and uh, technically he, he finds happiness? What do you think about that? Uh, I was hoping, to be honest with you, that he would, like, get killed right afterwards. <laughs> to put a nice <laughs> twisted end in the movie. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that never happened. So yeah, I guess I'm kind of glad they all did it didn't go all dark there. But uh, yeah, that's a good way to end it. Yeah, I thought so too. You know, I mean, it, it they could have ended it dark, but I, I'm kind of glad that they didn't. You know, because this was not a dark movie. Um, I did read at one point that in the script that it would have went one more day, and that when they woke up the next day. Bill would find that uh, Rita was now caught in a perpetual time loop and it was like perpetually February 3rd for forever for her. And it would have started and that would have been like the idea for the uh, an ending and also a sequel. But they never went with that. I, I think that would have been a little too convoluted. I think it just wraps up nicely. You don't know what caused it. You don't need to know what causes it. It's just a damn good movie. It was a really good movie. But yeah, it'd be kind of cool to see a sequel. You know, I still want to see like a sequel for Smile and see how all that started. It was like, okay, uh, how did it all originate? But uh, yeah, always like a good sequel if it's done well. And and with Smile, as much bank as that movie made, I think you can probably guarantee that they're going to make a sequel or a prequel or spin off of that. Of some sort. Made some serious bank. Uh, yes, I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Well. Okay, we could kind of sum this movie up. Um, do you have any other bits of trivia or anything you want to add before we get our final thoughts and ratings? Yeah, I always want to go on record saying, because I did not know this until uh, started studying up for this film, that groundhogs are actually woodchucks, and they belong to a large ground uh, family of ground squirrels known as marmots, which I had no idea that uh, groundhogs and woodchucks were the same damn creatures. I always thought they were different. <laughs> <laughs> I was today years old when I found that out. Damn. Yeah, I didn't know that either. And then I was reading too that the first official Groundhog's Day celebration took place February 2nd on 1887 in Puxentani, Pennsylvania, and that uh, has roots in pre Christian traditions. It was brought to the U.S. by German immigrants. And at the end, it was like more of like a hunt. They used to uh, eat the groundhog to end the festivities. So, yeah, I did not know any of that until just recently. I knew about the I knew about that only because 
Bill Murray or Bill's, you know, the Bill character says something about that. And he's like, it's all bogus. He's like, they used to eat the groundhog when it was done. And he's like, yeah, you know, you have pussies. And I remember reading up on that afterwards after after watching the movie. And I'm like, oh, OK. Like, so, yeah, I mean, I found that out eventually. But, yeah, that's a kind of a dark version of Groundhog Day. It's kind of not, not exactly a PC way of uh, handling <laughs> Groundhog Day, I don't think. Yeah, I'm glad we really didn't uphold that tradition. Uh, you know, I want to be eating groundhog every uh, year for Groundhog Day. So, yeah, I'm glad we didn't keep that one. Groundhog, the other white meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it must I'm sure like Rob could cook up some good groundhog stew for us. Yeah, we'll put that in the crock pot and cook it all day, and it'll smell like groundhog in that house. Oh, well. We we do things here the same way we do on, on every other Cinema Degeneration show. So for Cinema Degeneration Presents, we're doing a, a rating and a quick summary of our thoughts on the movie, a rating on a scale from 1 to 10. So go ahead, final thoughts and rating scale from 1 to 10, bud. Uh, I gave it a perfect 10, dude. I think this is the ultimate comedy freaking movie of all time. Uh, still my favorite uh it's just a perfect movie man you got a little bit of everything you got love you got comedy you got adventures you got everything all in this movie man i think it's the perfect movie so yeah i gave it a 10 out of 10 perfect 10. yeah i i give it a 10 out of 10 too this has been a classic from day one it's right up there with movie with other bill murray movies it's, it's like scrooge it's like stripes it's just the man is comedy garfield too <laughs> garfield too oh yeah definitely that that's a old <laughs> Yeah, that's not 10 out of 10. I don't even have to see that movie to know that's 1 out of 10. Okay, maybe more, better than that. I don't know. I'd have to see it, but I'm, we will not be covering Garfield 2. I do agree with you. I, I think it's got a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's, a, it's you know, for a PG-rated comedy, you know, I mean, it plays pretty safe. But, I mean, it's a little dark. It's got a little bit, you know, a horror element. It's got a dramatic element. It's got a little bit of action. It's got, you know, a whole lot of comedy. Like you said, you know, romance, drama, comedy. It's got a little bit of everything, you know. I mean, even plays upon the, the sci-fi angle of, uh, you know, time travel in a way, you know, or time loops. It's, you know, it's got a little bit of everything. It's very well-rounded for, a, a, you know, a PG-rated comedy, and I, I fucking love it. And Harold Ramis, you know, rest in peace. He was a great director, great actor. Actually, we glossed over the fact that he does do a comedy, uh, not a comedy, a cameo in this movie. As the, yeah, he was the doctor, right? Yeah, yeah, he's the neurologist, the, the really bad neurologist that takes care of uh, Bill Murray, followed by the, the guy who was the really bad psychiatrist that tries to help him. A lot of bad doctor work in this movie. But yeah, great, great movie. Uh, I was... You know, for one of the first comedies we've done, I think this is only the second comedy, and uh, we both did those. We did Clerks two in this one. Uh, I'm, yeah, I think we chose well with this one. I think so too, and I look forward to doing another one with you somewhere down the road. Right on, right on. Well, yeah, you're always welcome. You know where to find me. In hell, no. <laughs> Don't hunt me down like hard target. All right. Uh, you're more like an easy target, but yes. <laughs> I look forward to. I am. <laughs> Like, look, he's running. <laughs> like more like six million dollar man slow mo style. But that being said, <laughs> we'll, I think we'll close this one up for the day and put a pin in it. Uh, if folks at home, if you want to help us out, the best way you can do it is rate, review, subscribe to our Podbean account, and you know, share the links if you if you see them. Uh, you know, listen to the show, give us a five star rating or help give us a rating of any kind. It helps us get seen and it helps get the numbers up and it helps us out quite a bit. But signing off. Cinema Degeneration presents. I have been your host, Cameron Scott. And this is my co-host, Aaron Paschke. And we bid you a fond farewell. But if you wake up in the morning and hear, I got you, babe, you might just be caught in a time loop. Word. This is pitiful. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. What a hype. Ground like they used to mean something in this town. They used to pull the hog out and they used to eat it. You're hypocrites, all of you.
You got a problem with what I'm saying, Larry? Untie your tongue and you come out here and talk, huh? Am I upsetting you, Princess? You know, you want a prediction about the weather. You're asking the wrong Phil. I'll give you a winter prediction. It's gonna be cold. It's gonna be gray. And it's gonna last you for the rest of your life.